Our first lesson is from Isaiah chapter 57. And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would grow faint before me in the breath of life that I made. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face and was angry. But he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and and his mourners, creating the fruits of the lips. Peace. Peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. O Lord, have mercy on us. The second lesson is from Luke chapter 2. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. O Lord, have mercy on us. In many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. Tonight in our third Advent midweek series, we are looking at the Gloria in Excelsis from the Divine Service, the beginning of the Divine Service. The Gloria is known to you already probably more than the other three that we are looking at, the two that we have looked at already and the one that is to come. In the first matter, the Gloria is known to you because it's a name. A lot of you, especially you a little older than I am, probably knew plenty of Glorias in your time. Ladies that were given that as their Christian name. It's a nice name. It's a good name. And maybe we'll keep it on the short list for girls in the future. But Gloria is also a good name. If you think about it also, the other, the other canticles that we've looked at don't really lend themselves to being names for somebody. Okay? Can you imagine a little girl named Magnificat Bruns or... You know, I don't know, Benedictist Fletcher or something like that. It just doesn't sound good. But Gloria is nice. We also know Gloria because it is a prominent part of the service that we do every weekend. Every Saturday and Sunday we have the divine service and right there towards the beginning we sing it. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men and so on and so forth. But we also know the Gloria for this reason. It's reinforced by our Christmas hymns. Someone might say, I don't know a word of Latin, and I'd say that's false. If you know the hymn, Angels We Have Heard on High, Gloria in Excelsis Deo, Glory 
to God in the highest, the exact words that we're looking at this evening. It is familiar for this reason, the name Gloria, the, at least the idea of it, but it's also because familiar for us because we know the story that surrounds it. The other ones maybe we had to be a little bit reminded of, hearing the story of Zechariah's song or Mary's song, but the Gloria, right away, we can recall when it was spoken in the Bible, what the circumstances were, who said it, and to whom. Uh, I think about an example, okay, Nathan's at the age where he is like soaking everything up like a sponge when we read a book. And we'll do it where even, it's not just the well-loved books, but Allison will get a book from the library, we'll read it through him, to him one night, and the next night, the second time he's heard it in his life, we'll be doing the, reading the line and we'll stop before the last word and he'll say the word because he knows it. He does that for books he's not familiar with. You can imagine what it's like for the books that he wants us to read over and over and over again, Right? Well, we're the same way with the story from Luke 2 of the Nativity that I read the second lesson tonight. One Christmas party at the seminary, a professor was trying to prove that point, and we were all there in the cafeteria after the meal, before the dessert, and he started right into the King James version of the Christmas Nativity story. Now, most of us here probably couldn't do it word for word, but I bet all of us would do a pretty good job of filling in that word, Nathan style, if we were to read it and then stop and you knew what the next word was. And if you noticed, when I was reading the ESV version, I kind of slipped into the King James Version because it is so well entrenched in the minds. We know the story well, though, is what I'm saying. It's a beautiful setting, isn't it? A serene pastoral, we always picture it, a calm, cool night outside of Bethlehem there in the hills. And you have then, after all of the build-up for what's going on, this show-like climax there, where an angel visits these random shepherds out and announces to them that the Christ has been born in Bethlehem, and no sooner are those words out of the angel's mouth, and the whole heavenly host is there singing God's praises. The event that they were singing or speaking, to be fair, in the text, the event that they were speaking God's praises was so obvious that God had been fulfilling his promises and was finally doing it once and for all in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. God would send a savior. Mankind knew from our expulsion from the garden and, and every subsequent generation in the family that God chose to carry the promise of that savior. God would send a savior to fix all that had gone wrong with the fallen world. He had sent prophets to remind the people, patriarchs, to carry that promise as well as the seed in their own blood that the Savior would come and on that holy night outside of Bethlehem, the promise was kept. Promise given, promise fulfilled by Almighty God. The woman's seed, Abraham's seed, the son of David was born to a lowly family to be the Savior of the whole world. God himself was born to live among men. And so, the angel appears with a very short message, it is a short one, given to the shepherds, announcing it, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And he appears, if you notice this, to the tradesmen, who had the same trade as David did before he was king. As David was a shepherd of sheep, God chooses to announce the birth of the son of David to shepherds. They get the good news first of he who was born to be shepherd of Israel. And so naturally, following the angel's refrain, we, the words come, 
Glory be to God on high. The angel gives the good news that he's born in the city of David, and the angels say, we can't be quiet. We've got to spread out and say God's glory to the whole earth. The biggest announcement of the biggest birth in the world, it follows, doesn't it? That angels are going to be saying glory to God in the highest. Now, obviously, the hymn that we sing on Sunday mornings and Saturday nights is a little bit longer than what the angels said, right? They said just the glory of the God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And then they went back into heaven and the shepherds marveled at the whole thing. Well, we sing a little longer in our hymn, The Gloria in Excelsis. It does start out the same and we join the angels. I intone it and start and you answer the second half of what the angels said. We add our voices to theirs, the angelic chorus, but... We continue on with the hymn that was written several centuries after this event. We're not adding, of course, to Scripture. We're not saying that this was in the Bible as well. But rather, we are giving our earthly confirmation of the angelic praise on the night of Christ's birth with good and right words that match who God is and what he has done. In the service, up until that point, we have come to God in confession we have spoken back to him the words of the Psalms and the introit, sort of intoning the mood and the topic for the day. And then we have asked him for mercy. So simply in the Kyrie, Lord have mercy upon us. Christ have mercy upon us. Lord have mercy upon us. And then immediately, there's no transition for the organist, whoever it is that night, no transition for the pastor. Immediately after we say that prayer, pleading for God's mercy, we respond right away with the glory in excelsis, a hymn of praise to God in whom and through whom we are confident for every mercy that we have just prayed for and then some. To our heavenly King we pray, God the Father Almighty. We bless his name, we praise him, we glorify, and we give thanks to him for his great glory because these things, what he is, who he is and what he does is not a terror for us. Our Father God, Almighty in heaven, is not the judge who is keeping the tally of our sins, waiting only to pull them out on the last day and say, here you go. But he is the Father of all glory, who has sent the next part that we speak of, his only begotten Son, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We praise God the Father, and we praise him because he sent his Son, Jesus Christ, the Son that, as we sing in that hymn, sitteth at the right hand of God the Father. And to that Son, we sing not only praises, but we echo again our words from the Kyrie, Lord, have mercy. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us poor sinners. And having done that praise and that supplication to our God, we then move into the conclusion of that brief but wonderful hymn of praise. We petition, we petition the Son, and then we, having praised the Father and petitioned the Son, we conclude saying what is true about God. On the other Wednesday nights, I hope you've at least taken this away from these midweek services, that true praise of God isn't talking about ourselves. You know, Lord, I blah, blah, blah about me. Lord, I do this. Lord, I feel. But no, true praise of God is to acknowledge who God is, to say things that are true about him, to just say that, to talk about God, and that's what we do in the conclusion of the glory in excelsis. Christ alone is holy. Christ alone is the Lord. We continue singing 
and only with him and the Holy Spirit is their glory in God the Father. That is true praise, and it is the praise of our Christian worship, a praise that has grown out of, depends on who you ask and who you read, but really the better part of 1,700 years of that liturgy developing and coming into the church's worship. The angels rejoiced on Christmas night, as well they should, that the God who made the universe had finally sent his Son to redeem the universe, to fix it. They sang the praise, and the church in her wisdom has said, we're going to join with them in their prayer, in that praise. And so we sing the Magnificat. We sing the Benedictus, and we sing the Gloria in Excelsis, joining in their jubilant anthem that God the Father in his glory has kept his promise. He has sent his Son to save us, and in that Son we expect for and hope for all mercy. Let's stand together and sing the versification of that hymn.